All right, if you have a Bible handy, Luke chapter 9 is our first passage today, and then John chapter 21, and then 1 John chapter 4. So if you want to turn over to Luke chapter 9, well, that's where we'll get started. A few quick things before I jump into this lesson. Uh, Rick and Lana Higginbotham are sitting right back there. We all raise your hand. We, let's welcome them again today to our church family. And we, we celebrate with Rick as he put his faith in Christ and was baptized this past Wednesday. And then just to kind of follow up what Ricky shared earlier and the video, we're excited to have Joshua and Heather Fowler coming very soon to serve as our Family Connections Minister. So I just wanted to reiterate that. Be praying for that. We're excited about the future and, uh, and what God has in store for us. So this book that you see up here, it's called 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health. I have referenced this book several times over the last few years. It's a great little book. These 10 questions in the book are designed to do some self-reflection, to diagnose yourself, I guess, to see where you are spiritually. In chapter 3, the question that is posed is, are you growing more loving? As you age in Christ, for those of you who are in Christ, as you grow up, as you age, are you becoming a more loving person? Are you staying the same or are you regressing? I was thinking as I was preparing for this lesson, dwelling on that question about my own life and just kind of thinking in general, uh, I knew a guy from a previous church. He just popped into my mind. I won't share any names or anything like that. Uh, the, he, he sat in the foyer a lot, never really came in for worship. And his reasoning was he was opening the door for latecomers, passing out bulletins, and keeping a watchful eye. And every time I passed him, and especially if I was preaching, drinking a lot of water, small bladder, I'm going to the bathroom at some point. So I'm going to pass him. And I would try to avoid him, but uh, sometimes he would still catch me. And even, even if it was after worship or something, he would always have something negative to say. He always had something to complain about, especially about the kids. Uh, he, there was something about kids running around the building and the way they were behaving, and he just did not like it. Finally, one day, I said, okay, can you tell me their names so I can know who to go get on to? He didn't have a clue what their names were. I was like, you haven't even taken the time to get to know their names, but you are upset with them. I don't know what happened in his life. A guy who had been a Christian for a long time, that he got to that point, that he just saw the negative in everything, and is seeing children not as an opportunity to mold them and shape them in the image of Christ and for God's kingdom. Instead, he just saw them as a nuisance. And I thought to myself, I don't want to become like that when I get older. Like, I want to... If you could fast forward to later on in my life that I've grown to this place where love would describe me, and i got a long ways to go. Sometimes, if I'm being honest, I look at myself and I'm like, I, I'm not as loving as I should be, but love is one of those key traits, key characteristics of what it means to actually follow Jesus. So diagnosing our spiritual health, doing a little self-reflection, as we study these 12 apostles, Last week we started talking about the sons of thunder, James and John, and today we're going to specifically talk about John, but I want to look at, it, look at it from the angle of what was John's growth area. Where did John need to grow spiritually? So here's a, a reminder of a few things we talked about last week. From Matthew chapter 20, and you can find the equivalent in Mark chapter 10, uh, James and John desired to become more powerful. 
kind of reveals where their heart's at a little bit. As they come to Jesus secretly with their mom, and they request to be at Jesus' right and left hand. They desire power. They, do, they try to cut Peter out. Another thing that we saw about James and John is they had this impulse to destroy their enemies. Remember the Samaritan village that was inhospitable to Jesus? They rejected Jesus, and James and John, what did they want to do? They wanted to call down fire from heaven. They wanted to destroy their enemies. And now what we're going to read is Luke chapter 9, just two verses, verse 49 and 50. This is one of those rare times in the synoptic gospels. Synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where John speaks by himself. It's not John and James, it's not John and Peter, John and the apostles, it's just John by himself here. In verse 49, Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. Now we could speculate a lot on what we think Jesus meant by whoever's not Against you is for you. But what I want to focus on really is John's attitude here. Where Jesus is being inclusive, John is being exclusive. What we see about John's current state at this point in the gospel story is he's exclusive to unknown followers. He didn't know who this guy was, so he said, we try to stop him. This guy's doing good deeds in the name of Jesus, but we don't know him. He's an outsider. He's not like us. So we try to put a stop to it. Jesus said, don't stop him. So, so far what we see, he desires power. He wants to destroy his enemies. And he wants to reject those who are not like them. So if you were to look at that question, at this point in the Gospels, what is John's growth area? Well, you might say he needs to mature and this or that. I would say John's growth area is the question we started with. He needs to grow more loving. There's, there's a passion there. There's this thunderous personality. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of love from John at this point. In fact, if I were warning John, I'd say, watch out, John. You don't want to become like that guy in the foyer that complains about everything. Because that's the path he's headed on right here. Okay, what do we know about John beyond the Synoptic Gospels? We learn a lot of insights about John's character, his personality, from his writings, from the Gospel of John and from First and Second and Third John. We learn a lot about him from those writings. One of the things that we know about John is he was the oldest living apostle. He witnessed his brother James, the other half of the Sons of Thunder. He died, was put to death in Acts chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. So he, he witnessed his brother die, and then he lives into a very old age. And as far as we know from church history and what we can tell biblically, is that John lived a long time after the other 12 apostles had already gone. We have this strange passage, and the next one I'm going to look at is John chapter 21. Uh, this interaction between Peter and Jesus, which I actually read part of this a few weeks ago when we talked about Peter, but I want to read it again, this time looking at John's perspective. In John chapter 21, verse 20 through 24, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus has just told Peter that he's going to die for his faith, for what he's preaching in Christ, for continuing to follow Jesus. Peter will be bound by and, and taken where he does not want to go. 
That's a tough thing to hear. So Peter's reaction is he turns to John and says, well, what about him? I think Peter wants to make sure John's going to suffer the same thing, right? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me, Jesus says to Peter. So the rumor spread among the brothers and sisters that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and has written them, and we know that his testimony is true. There was a rumor going around in the early church because John had lived to such an older age and because Jesus had said this, that maybe John was not going to die or that Jesus was going to return before John died. So John gives us this bonus chapter in John chapter 21, probably addressing that rumor. But it gives us the idea, by the time John writes this, he's older. And John never identifies himself in the gospel, in the gospel of John. He's either the other disciple, James' brother, the son of Zebedee, or most notably, he calls himself the one whom Jesus loved. Have you ever caught that when you read through the gospel of John? Why does he call himself the one whom Jesus loved? Is it because that John thought that Jesus loved him more than others? I don't think, in my opinion, that's not why he calls himself the one whom Jesus loved. I think the reason he doesn't, he refers to himself in third person, never mentions his own name, just calls himself the one whom Jesus loved as an act of humility. Okay, here's my opinion on this. It's because John lived to such an old age Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already been written and circulated around the churches. And I'm sure there was a lot of people, because John was the only original apostle left, they wanted him to write his version of the gospel story. And when he finally does, because as Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 2, John was one of the pillars of the early church. So when he finally writes his gospel, he doesn't even use his own name because he doesn't want to be the focal point of the story. In my opinion, this is an act of humility. Well, there we go. We're starting to see some maturity in John over all these decades. What else do we learn about John uh, from the gospel that he wrote that we don't read about in the synoptic gospels? Well, we know in John chapter 18, he was with Peter. And even though the disciples had scattered when Jesus was arrested, they stayed close by. They went to the high priest's home. They watched as Jesus was put on trial, as Jesus was beaten. We know that. We know that in John chapter 19, verse 25 through 27, that John was right there when Jesus was crucified. He was so close to Jesus as Jesus hung on the cross that Jesus spoke directly to him. You remember what Jesus told John? Take care of who? Take care of my mother. Right? So as far as we know, John was the only actual eyewitness out of the apostles of the crucifixion because he was that close. We know that in John chapter 20, he saw the empty tomb. Peter and John received this report that Jesus' body is missing. So Peter and John go running to the tomb. And if you know John chapter 20 very well, what is, there's a detail that John gives us about the running. Do you remember what that is? He outran Peter. So in John's older age, he's reflecting back on that time, and he wants us to know he's faster than Peter. And I I can identify with John in that because (coughs) at this point in my life, uh, I've even tried to run recently with my kids, 
And I'm to the point where a first grader and a fourth grader are now faster than me. But I like to tell them stories about the old days when I was faster than other people. Because that's, that's where John was. He's like, hey, by the way, I was faster than Peter. He got to see the empty tomb. He was an eyewitness of the crucifixion of Jesus. What else do we learn about John from his writings? Well, you read the Gospel of John. You read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. There is one word in particular that comes up over and over and over, over 80 times combined. You know what that word is? Love. In church history... And what we know today, we would refer to John as the Apostle of Love. Because he talked about love more than any other New Testament writer. So his growth area, from what I highlighted just a few minutes ago, is he wanted power. He wanted to annihilate the Samaritans and call down fire on them. And then this guy who's driving out demons, he's trying to stop him. He's being exclusive. That's who John was. But as Jesus trained him and transformed him and the Holy Spirit guided him, he becomes the apostle of love. His growth area was love. And then he grew into this older gentleman who was known for how loving he was and how often he talked about love. And I want to read to you a sample from 1 John chapter 4 here in just a minute. But I figured instead of just reading it, we like to sing, so let's sing about love for just a moment before we read this passage. So Aaron's going to come back up here, lead us in a song, and then I'll hop back up after that. So as an, as an old man, somebody who once walked the roads with Jesus, when he decides to write a letter guided by the Holy Spirit, that's his theme. If I could summarize John's letters as an older man, I would summarize it in three things. He he wants you to know that God loves you. He really wants you to know that. And I think sometimes as human beings, we have trouble really believing that. Maybe it's because of our history. Maybe it's because the way that uh, we feel loved by people is we feel like we have to earn that love or impress people. Or maybe we've been told that God doesn't love us. I don't know. But John wants you to know God really does love you. And he also wants you to know that you need to love one another. A reflection of God's love is your love for each other. You see that in, God, in John's gospel and in his letters. Love each other. Love each other. I think, Aaron, I'm glad you had us face each other. That was kind of neat as we're singing about God's love and trying to look into each other's eyes as we did that. God loves you, love one another, but John would also want you to know, teach the truth. Uh, he used the word love over 80 times in his writings, but he also used the word truth over 40 times. John was a, a fierce defender of the truth. He learned to balance that with love, but he also he didn't want you to put up with false teaching. He wanted you to know the truth and stand by the truth and leave behind a life of sin. So those would be the three ways I would summarize John's writing. And back to this question. To diagnose our own spiritual health, ask yourself the question, are you growing more loving as you age in Christ? And I think another question that needs to go along with that is, have you received God's love? Because if you haven't received God's love, I think you're always going to struggle with truly loving others. There's a story that inspired me that I read several years ago about a guy named Stephen Henning. He's a guy from Illinois uh, who, for 57 years, had lost his hearing. When he was two years old, 
He contracted spinal meningitis. It was 1943 because of World War II. There was a shortage of penicillin. So he did not get the medicine that he needed and he lost his hearing. For 57 years, he did not get to hear the sound of music, the voices of his loved ones, laughter, anything like that. He went on to live a fulfilling life. He was married. He had kids. But the one thing that he really wanted in life is to be able to hear. Well, in the year 2000, he discovered that he was a candidate for a surgery where they could do some kind of bypass of the nerve and implant this device in his ear, and it could possibly allow him to hear again. They weren't sure if the surgery was going to work. Well, he was a candidate for the surgery. They they got him all set up, signed up. He went in for the surgery. But you had to wait six weeks because of all the swelling to see if it even worked. So six weeks go by after the surgery, and the, and the time comes to go back into the doctor's office to, to see, to activate the device, to see if this surgery worked. And, and they're nervous. They don't know if it did work or not, and it's probably going to be really disappointing if it didn't work. So the doctor told his wife, When I activate the device, I'm going to be quiet. I want you to lean in close to him and you speak. So the first voice that he will hear, if it works, will be your voice. He gave her the signal. He activated the device. She leaned in and she said, I love you. And then you watched as he got this big grin on his face. And the surgery worked. And the first thing that he heard were words of love. I love you. And I truly believe that that is something John wants you to know. The first thing he wants you to know, God really does love you. Now, John has a lot of other things to teach, and I think everything was rooted in God's love for us. It's out of God's love that we are free to love others. If we have truly accepted the fact that God really does love us, it's out of God's love that he invites us, he compels us to leave behind a life of sin. It's out of God's love that we can stand for the truth. But I think the first message that John would want you to hear is God really does love you. And you look at the maturing that John needed in his life, his growth area of love way back early on in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Well, obviously guided by the Holy Spirit, John grew into a loving disciple, the apostle of love. The Holy Spirit helped mature him and the Holy Spirit helped him to write these words in 1 John chapter 4. Luke read verse 7 through 12 earlier. I'm going to read that again, and then I'm going to read all the way through verse 19 if you want to follow along. And I don't know, maybe just listen or read along if you want. Pay attention to the word love. Pay attention to what John, as an older man, is trying to communicate. And just let this sink in. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit. 
And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. So we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of His judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because He first loved us. I'll let John's words pretty much be the conclusion of this sermon. If one of your growth areas is you need to grow in love, part of the reason we exist as a church family is to help each other grow and mature. But more specifically, as as I think John would tell you in 1 John, if you have hate in your heart or hate for your brother or sister, that is something you need to repent of. And if you're really struggling today, we want to be here for you, we want to pray for you and be a part of your own transformation of love. If you have trouble receiving God's love and knowing that God really does love you, let us pray for you. If you want to accept Jesus' atoning sacrifice for our sins and the ultimate expression of His love and be baptized into Christ, then come talk to one of us. I want to invite you to stand back up. Please respond if you need to. Let's keep singing.